0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Becoming Men podcast brought to you by thebecomingmen.com. I am your host, Ray Delanuez, and this is still the podcast for men on their masculine journey. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about 10 lessons that I've learned after 10 years of active duty service in the United States Marine Corps, semper fidelis. All right, but here's the thing you can't be selfish or right, you can't be selfish with this information. You got to pass it on. So make sure that you are sharing this podcast with other men, other guys in your sphere of influence, and you already know who it is that you got to share it with. So just go ahead, do them that favor, and do yourself the favor of following me on Instagram. Make sure that you connect with me at Ray De La Nuez. Again, that's at Ray De La Nuez. So I got ten lessons and a bonus, but I got I'm going to give you ten lessons. That I've learned after 10 years of being in the military. And number one is get comfortable at being uncomfortable. Again, that's get comfortable at being uncomfortable. Every time I say that, I always think of where I heard that first. And that's going to be Captain Merrick, now Major Merrick, who would say that to us every single time we were either coming in or out of the field, just getting done or about to start some crazy workout. And it really did resonate with me because I've kind of experienced this before. I knew the necessity of it. I just can never put words to it. But I I think of my first time uh, being attacked by three grown, scary men. And thankfully, it was was in a training environment. It's called Black Friday uh, in my martial arts uh, instructor course, right? So I'm like a Marine Corps martial arts instructor. And uh, when I went through the course to become an instructor, all of the other instructors who are out, who are like higher belts and higher degrees of those belts, uh, on Fridays they would reserve these crazy workouts that would completely tire you out. I mean, I'm talking about you were you were dragging yourself back onto the mat, and then once you were on the mat, you would shake hands with one person, only to be stuffed down and beat up from the back by another person. And you kind of knew that was coming. Uh, You knew it wasn't going to be a fair fight. But then it's when the third person comes in where you're battling for your life already. And there's a man in front of you that is trying to choke you out. There's a man behind you that is trying to snuff your face. I'm talking like when you are already being choked out, when you're already that tired and exhausted, it doesn't take much to like make you freak out. Right. So just having somebody come behind you and start completely blocking your nose, your mouth so that you can't even breathe. That's just enough. But somebody who's now striking you from the back and then another guy who comes in, he wants to grab a small joint. He wants to start doing a small joint manipulation on your leg, on your arm. And you think, am I even supposed to win this? What's the point of fighting? It's probably just easier if I lay here and let them tap me out. Tap, tap, tap. Good. We reset. I might get an extra second of rest. And then we do it all over again and we keep going until my time is up. But I never did that. Right. And I don't think a lot of the guys that were there at that course did that. Not because, you know, we couldn't, but because we weren't there to do that. We weren't there to stay comfortable. We weren't there to stay in this little comfortable box and just say, yeah, we earned this title and now we can do this. And these are the benefits of that. No, like we were there to do something greater, to to shed a piece of us. Okay. Sometimes we didn't, we couldn't like romanticize it like that then, of course, but we were shedding a piece of us that we didn't know needed to be shed, but it was happening and it was beautiful. And, you know, if I'm honest, a lot of it had to do with, you know, the, that central question that every man asks himself. And that is, do I have what it takes? And it's good to know that you shed a layer of discomfort and a layer of doubt and a layer of uninitiated self for this new version of you that is now more initiated, that is now more comfortable with discomfort, and that is now more ready for any kind of contingency. You know, I I don't plan to be attacked by three guys, but if I was, now I know that I'm I'm in a better position mentally to be able to handle that. But then how do we tie back that back into everything else, right? Like that was a small three-week course. Well, you bring that into every single part of the last 10 years of being in the military. You find that on just a random Wednesday, in random day in the week, just doing normal leadership stuff because the leadership will always demand that you get uncomfortable. And if you're not, then I would just challenge you by saying that you're stagnant. And there's nothing more stinky, right, than a body of water that is just sitting there stagnant. Water needs to move. And everybody knows, like, what a complainer sounds like. You know those guys, and and maybe one of them already just came to your mind. You know those guys that whenever you're around them, you can expect negativity, negativity, complaining, complaining, and and it's frustrating, and you don't want to be that guy, right? And so then that's another reason for why being comfortable at being uncomfortable, getting comfortable, at being uncomfortable, that's that's important. It's a matter of you understanding, like nobody wants to hear me complain, gripe, and moan, first of all, I I mean, I would even go as far as saying, like, I'm not gonna show up and get on my knees and talk to God whining and complaining. In fact, Israel did that, if you remember, in the wilderness, and how did that go for them? They just kept going around in circles for 40 years, grumbling and complaining. But when you get comfortable at being uncomfortable, you actually start finding joy in these little things, and these little moments. You start finding the fact that, you know what, I'm actually being walked through by God in this difficult situation. I'm actually being prepared for something greater in this situation. I'm actually being uh, graduated, being propelled forward in my maturity, my leadership ability by being in this situation. And you just start to repurpose what maybe doesn't seem so good for what is good. You know, and and a lot of people say, you know, there's some stoicism involved in there because it really, I mean, it's about mindset and sure you can call it stoicism, but I'm just going to call it Jesus and I'm going to call it what it is. I mean, like making sure that you are keeping Keeping track of the fact that you have been giving a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Think of the most uncomfortable situation that you have been in this week, and then think, oh man, God has given me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. I can be at 100% peace. I can be 100% comfortable in this situation and thrive. And God might be shedding something here. He might be doing something here. He might be promoting something here in me. So I'm, I'm, hey, I'm going to keep pushing through. Moving to number two, excellence is a personal decision. Again, excellence is a personal decision. What do I mean by that? Well, I just happen to mean exactly what I said. Your excellence, you choosing how it is that you are going to live your life in excellence is something that you personally choose daily. You have a reputation with God. And with man, and that's something that you build. Your actions, the things that you do and do not do, those things establish this reputation with those to your left and right, and with that one that is above. And it is all noted by how much excellence you carry in what you do. The practical examples for this are endless. I mean, just think of your daily life, things that you do on the regular. You do the dishes. You do your job at work, you come home, you clean up, whatever it is. I mean, anything. How do you do that thing? Do you do it half-ass? Do you do it 90%? Do you get 50% of the way done and then maybe start, you know, when you do it with a high enthusiasm and then you're disillusioned and then you kind of like dwindle back a little bit. That is a daily choice. And I've had to like actually reap the benefits of this and and also the uh, not so good side of this. Because when I make excellence a option and I kind of leave it for those times that I just feel good, what ends up happening is I start making decisions that aren't actually so good for me and they're not good, so good for the people around me. And so the things that need to get done with precision, with accuracy, don't get done because hey, maybe, maybe I think somebody else will pick up my slack. Maybe I think somebody else won't care that I'm not putting in my 100%. Just understand and know that excellence, the excellence that you choose to put out is a personal choice. And I'll say this, this is the last piece of this one. If people around you are the ones that are making you excel, I, I, that is great. I've talked to a lot of people who say, man, I'm so thankful for the people that are around me. I'm so thankful for my coworkers. I'm so thankful for you know my gym partner, blah, blah, blah. Like they are motivating you. That's awesome. But what happens when they leave? What happens when they're not around? This is why that choice must be a personal one. Number three, discipline is life-giving. Jocko Willink says discipline equals freedom. Both, you know, two different ways of saying it, but they all come from the same vein. It's funny because this is actually something that I'm kind of going through all over again right now where I'm having to remember that, dude, the times that you do the best, the times that you are the best at home and the best at work is when you choose to be disciplined. I think a lot of times we look at our lives and we say we are stagnant. We see that we haven't moved forward. We see that we are kind of in the same place or continue to fall to the same things. And it's because we lack self-discipline. And you can imagine, you know, all of the commercials and every poster that you've ever seen about the military and the importance of military discipline. But I'm not just talking about discipline to like stand straight in formation with your eyes forward, you know, perfectly locked, tensed and, you know, having that type of um, ceremonial discipline. I'm talking about having the discipline to get up at a good time, to be able to read the word, having enough discipline to work out when it is that you said that you're going to work out, having the discipline to stick to a schedule. Okay, better yet, backtrack one step, having the discipline to make a schedule, having the discipline to go to bed at a good time so that you can repeat that cycle again and again. And then when you're a pro Pro move right here, having the discipline to create create enough buffer room and buffer space so that you aren't just just like going from one thing to the next to the next. So you actually start being able to create time for things going over a little bit or some things just kind of popping in there, some contingency time. That's just a pro move right there. So much stress comes from our lack of discipline and when you set out to our uh, to put things in order to actually get your life on track you start to trust yourself you actually start to believe the words that you say because if you don't you know the 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 opposite side of this is you might be speaking something but your brain is not in denial, right? You are in denial. You can deny like deny, 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 and fool yourself, but your subconscious mind is not in denial. Like the fact that you keep telling yourself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. There's a cognitive dissonance that happens inside of you because you, your subconscious mind is aware that you're actually not going to do this because it, you have learned to not trust yourself subconsciously. It's crazy. Look into that if you ever want. If you ever want to trip yourself up, and so the fact that you say like I am going to start doing this and I am going to make sure that I read this this amount, like there's a little voice in the back of your head that says no, I'm, no, you're not. Yeah. yeah, that you said that last week. No, you're not. But that only happens because you have proven to yourself that you're going to let yourself down because you lack discipline. Again, discipline is life-giving. Number four, leadership is servanthood. Again, leadership is servanthood. And I'm actually going to keep this one short because I plan to do an entire episode just on this. I mean, this is something that guys struggle with because our idea of leadership, our thoughts about leadership are usually not 100% one hundred percent lined up with what leadership actually is. Maybe you might get it right sixty percent of the time. Maybe you have some ideas that are good about it. But I, I, I can say from my experience that what I thought was leadership and what I thought uh, leaders should do and don't do and you know all of that—it's it, actually not true. Here's why. I'll give it to you from the military standpoint. I came up from a recruit to an E2, E3, all the way to E6. And then I transitioned to be an officer to O1, and I recently got promoted to O2. So I'm I'm now a first lieutenant. That means that I have all of the rank structures below me, all of the enlisted rank structures. So that's nine enlisted ranks, and then one officer rank below me. The worldly sense of leadership says, now that I'm higher on this uh, ladder, I can now boss around the people below me. And that makes sense in this like weird perception about leadership that says, because I have climbed this ladder of success, I am now entitled, I now know more, I've been trusted with more, but Jesus had a way of taking paradigms, worldly paradigms, and flipping them on their head. And this is where the leadership is servanthood comes from. And I mean, I've seen people who don't know Jesus who don't believe in Jesus and the military perform this and and live this out well as well, because it's, it's effective. So instead of saying that the higher that you climb in a rank structure, the more people you have below you to serve you, it's actually that the higher you climb, the more people below you that you now need to serve. Then now now that you are higher, you're at a better position to serve those below you. Jesus showed us that whenever he uh, took his disciples and started washing their feet and getting that picture and that understanding that the people who are entrusted in your care, who are underneath your charge, whether it's, you know, at a grocery store that you work at, or maybe you work at some union, you're, you're part of, uh, you know, whatever it is that you do, whatever career choice you've chosen, those people that you outrank are now the ones that you need to turn around and serve. And this happens guys, this applies in the household. Because guys, we, we have this idea told to us even in the church that hey, once you get married to a Christian woman, you know, you you are the head of the household, you and you take control of your household. And so we think that that means that we now start like bossing you know, the wife around and, and we make the decisions without their input. And, and we are the ones that establish this and establish that. And, you know, we were the head of the household. We are the leader of the household. Naturally. It's like, oh, dude, uh, let's see how long that works out for you. I think the best thing that God could ever have done for me is give me a strong woman who's not afraid to tell me how it is. And, uh, I'm really appreciative of that. And I, I pray, guys, that you, if you don't already have a wife or have a woman in your life, that you would get a strong woman in your corner who can co lead with you. And you being the head of the household doesn't mean you get to make all of those decisions without her. You get to include her. She is not behind you, she is beside you. You serve your family. Number five, you aren't the main character of the story. Gosh. This is absolutely counter to every single thing that a man believes about himself, because you are the most important person in your story. Mostly, right? You are the one that needs to defeat the dragon, slay the trolls, and get to Argon so that you can save the princess and be the hero. And I mean, you can switch all those names and places for whatever you want, but generally, like we have this idea, these ideas, and this sort of uh fairy tale paradigm in our minds that say like we are the main characters like we this it's all it's about us right you're not the main character of your story and if you are just in case you you want to continue to live in that way and that's that's what it is that you have set your your mind on i will say that you are living a very very small story if you're the main character of your story you are living a small story. There are people around you whose lives are waiting to be transformed by you. And in their story, I mean, you're a minimal character. And there are people who you rub elbows with that are going to transform your life. And in your life, they will become a primary role. You're just not the main character. When you start looking around at the body of Christ and understanding that we are supposed to be one body connected, fully cognizant of each other, fully respectful of each other, right? Just because we're a hand doesn't mean that we don't respect the foot and we cut off the foot. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we're aware that the body of Christ on the cross was never broken, okay? The body of Christ was never broken on the cross for a reason, You become aware of this reality that this entire orchestrated thing called life that God allowed you to play a role in has to do with you pointing your fingers and everything that you do up to heaven. You look, everything you do, you're just pointing it up. I have this picture. I don't think it's on Google anymore. Um, I won a wrestling match in my district finals, and every time I got up, I would go ahead and point up to up to God. And I I really didn't know God well um, more than just a policeman in the sky at that point. But I picture that right, like in everything that you do, like you you grew zucchinis well in your home garden, point it up to him, bro. It's not about you, <laughs> right? And, and like guys, you got to understand the humor in this because you're always trying to prove yourself, right? You're always trying to answer that question. Like, do I have what it takes? It's like, yeah, you do, but it's because God first came in you and he first gave you that ability and man, he's good. And it's because he actually showed you that guy and brought this guy into your life and you made connections with this person and ah, it strengthened you in this way. And you just never were the primary role. And I think this is one of those things that really goes unchecked because, you know, we don't necessarily walk around saying, you know, I'm the most important person. I don't care about anybody else, but sometimes you live it and you can tell that you live that way by looking at your relationships. Uh, You're luckier if you have a spouse, somebody really intimate and close to you. And if you look at them and if they're not shining, if their smile isn't radiant and brilliant, not that you have to make them happy all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But you can tell a lot about a guy and his and the relationship by just looking at the woman. Or looking at just look at the relationships around you. Do people feel loved and cared for? Do people feel valued and cherished? Ask somebody. I dare you to ask the last person that you text messaged. Hey, man, do you feel valued by me? Hey, babe, do you feel cherished by me? And just, just see what they say. Number two. Six. Rest is a part of warfare. Rest is a part of warfare. I remember going through a really, really hard time when I was first married. I was about 22, 23 years old. And uh, me and my wife were just going through it and I was going through it. And I was warring. I mean, there there was spiritual battles going on. I definitely was undoing some generational stuff. I was undoing things that I had harbored for a decade. Right, like I took this decade-long porn addiction and tried to shove it into a closet and completely forget about it. Um, In case you were wondering how that turned out, it didn't. I'm sure I've talked about that enough in previous episodes. Yeah, it 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 doesn't work out. Uh, And so, being able to being able to war is easy. It's easy because I, I like being able to war is so masculine and is so innate to you that it comes natural, right? We look at verses that say like, pick up your sword and fight or, you know, grab the shield of faith. Like there's all, and you just picture yourself like you're a warrior here battling for God. I mean, I can see this just in my two-year-old, right? I have I have an older son who's six. He's been through this and I've seen that in him, but I'm more now re- dealing with, with my two-year-old in this because I find that I'm not spending as much time showing him the little things like I did for the first one because, you know, my oldest son is now showing him a lot of what I had shown him. And I'm wondering where this boy is getting a lot of this, you know, energy and like, You know, charging me and wanting to tackle me because my oldest son is not doing that to him. And, you know, I'm just reminded like he doesn't need to get that from anywhere else except from his heavenly father who put that inside of him, right? Like you, you, fellow listener, you were created with the zeal from God to battle, to war, to overcome, to conquer. You were created with the energy and strength, the dynamic power. To lunge forward at whatever thing that you are facing and destroy it, and I know that because the Bible says that in different words, but you'll find it in there. I know that because you're a child of God and you were created in His image. That comes easy, but what doesn't come easy, and what didn't come easy for me during that time that I was going through this, just all of this warfare, is resting. I actually begin to fall, pray. To a whole nother type of battle from anxiety, depression, and exhaustion because I was constantly aware and awake and fighting and going. I was constantly journa- I was journaling during this time. And if you read that journal of mine, I've thankfully closed it, you know, and just kind of that was like a closed chapter of my life. But if you read that, you find me just going and going and going and like to the outside world. Man, that guy is so. Just He has such a fervent spirit. He's such a warrior. But bro, did you know that Jesus wore flip-flops? Jesus wore flip-flops. What does that mean? Jesus moved at the pace of flip-flops. And I don't know if you've ever tried to run in flip-flops, but um, no, it, it does not work. We have a hard time at pulling back. And walking at the pace of the soul and then resting, actually sitting down and saying, you know what? This is going to be a season of rest. And this had, I mean, just as much application in the military as what I just explained to you. And I learned it in the times where I look at my body as a 25-year-old and I'm like, I should not be feeling this way. What's going on? Why is my body not allowing me to move? Why am I so stiff? Why am I going to medical three times a month? What's going on? And now I'm 28, about to turn 29. And I'm literally right back at it. And I'm feeling like a dummy because i it's almost like I didn't learn my lesson the first time. But I'm like, why am I so stiff? I literally have said I'm freaking 28 years old. I don't want to feel this way? Why am I feeling this way? Somebody offered me a cane the other day when I was getting braces because I sp- I strained both MCLs, one on my left and right. And uh, I'm like, no, I don't want a freaking cane. I'm 28 years old. I was frustrated. I was mad. And I had just gotten out of the ER two days before that because uh, I strained my back and I literally could not move. I was sitting on the, I was laying on the ground with my wife, over me, trying to pull me up and get me into the car to take me to the, to the hospital. And all of that, because I've been going, just been going. And I think I, and I thought, you know, there was a part of me that was obviously addicted to the going. I was seeing results. I'm looking at my body and I see it. And then there's that natural zeal that I was telling you about. I'm feeling it and I'm excited, but that tempo can't be sustained forever. And resting and refitting is a part of a natural deployment cycle that we go through in the military. Rest is a part of warfare. Number seven, stand for something or fall for anything. Again, that stand for something or fall for anything. And this sort of became my life's tagline for a while. I would say this wherever I had the opportunity. And it's because it, it's so true. And I'll break it down for you just in case you don't understand it and maybe it seems a little bit mystical. Okay, you either believe something and you have a belief in your mind and you have made up your mind about a certain thing or whatever other thing comes up and tries to get your attention or tries to fill that gap, that hole, that is now going to be the thing that you accept. Right. And so, I mean, with large ideas and large concepts like, you know, is Jesus real? Right. Like th- those are easy questions. Okay. We don't need to d- establish those and have a long conversation about that. We already have those things figured out in our minds and we can now view the world through the lenses of having that understanding. Right. Like knowing that Jesus is the son of God. He walked here on earth and we have a relationship with God because of Jesus. But it's when you get into these like little nuances and I don't want to say little to like say that they're not important. I just mean like very, uh, very sneaky because they can go unnoticed. Right. So where do you stand with friendships and how people treat you? For example, if you don't stand for people treating you with honor and respect, you are always going to fall to people who want to dishonor and disrespect you. And you create an environment and an ecosystem around you that continually feeds that. You create a feedback loop of the same thing that you have allowed in your life. All right? Like you are your own petri dish. You have like you like legitimately create an ecosystem or where do you stand with integrity? Like real honor and integrity. Are you in a person of high honor and integrity when it's easy or do you actually practice it? Is it a cornerstone in your life when it is difficult? Would you actually still be honorable if it cost you something, if it was going to cost you your career? Or do you find yourself just being able to Balance between the 50 shades of gray, somewhere in between, bouncing back and forth on the fence, because you might gain a little, lose a little here and there. And all of these things matter. They all matter because although somebody else might not be in the room and seeing how it is that you act and how it is that you carry yourself, there is somebody always watching. And this isn't to create that paradigm of like, God is the policeman in the sky. No, like it's just you will have to answer to somebody. And when you do, when you answer to him, you are not going to be fooling him. You may have fooled yourself. You may have fooled everybody else around you, but you will not be fooling God when he is looking at your heart as he's doing right now. Like the Holy Spirit is analyzing and assessing your heart and it is cutting deep and it knows what's going on inside of there. And so, I mean, in the military, I, this is 100% necessary you either are going to stand for this thing or you are going to fall for the next thing that comes up and is easy and will provide you gain and maybe a faster promotion and maybe an in with your peers or with those below you and i just remember w- one time right like the unpopular decision and we've maybe we've we've been there before you know how it feels it sucks to make the unpopular decision not be part of the crowd have that moral courage to say, hey, I, I'm not going to go with you guys to uh, to Hooters. And I have a staff sergeant looking at me. I'm, I'm, I think I was a corporal at the time. He's like, what? We are all going because it is, you know, this person's going away. They have served honorably for the last four years. And we have a tradition of getting together and handing somebody a plaque or something that we made for them, sharing our, our thoughts, our memories with them and sending them off. But this guy chose to go do it at Hooters. And this is around the time where I'm like, I'm battling all of this sexual identity stuff. And I'm like, you know, not wanting to see women who are like half dressed and, you know, everything that Hooters has. And I was like ridiculed and, and mocked because of that. But the thing is, is that no matter what the pressure of everybody else around me, who was like, come on, man, come on, bro. Or the my higher up who's now, you know, belittling me because of this, like, that's not going to make me move on a foundational thing. It's something that I have established in myself and said, no, like this is, this is my line. There's been relationships I've cut off because of that line, relationships with family members who have been. You know, I had to go through some very hard things because I stood for something. And we cut off a lot of generational junk because of it. I hope that settled with you well. Number eight, plans are nothing, but planning is everything. Again, plans are nothing, planning is everything. Now that's a quote or part of a quote from President Eisenhower. And I included that in there because as guys, Especially if you are the head of a household, right? Make sure you go back to number whatever and reassess what that actually means. But if you are the head of a household or you are taking charge of your own life, you need to have a plan. You need to make sure that you are actually on a path, that you have established a trajectory, and that you're not just a rocket that's just going out into space, going left and right, wherever it wants to be, a heat seeking missile, and just following whatever thing culture says is hot right? And you're just, you're just seeking that thing. You're going all around space and in the air, just making zigzags and wasting fuel. And before you know it, you tie yourself out and you've done nothing. No, you actually have to establish a way, choose a way and walk in it, an ancient path. Go check that out in Jeremiah. You have to actually choose that and make plans for that, establish contingency plans for that. And then just make small scaled goals, monthly, weekly, daily goals that will get you going on that path or continuing to move on that path. It's the same concept as when you get on, you know, on your phone and you go up on Google to look up that new restaurant. You don't know exactly where it is, but you put it on there and then you start driving. You actually have established a route and a map of where it is that you need to travel and how it is that you need to go to get to where you want to go. The problem is, is that you don't know that along the way, Google doesn't know either for this scenario, there's a car accident, really bad car accident that's going to block you. You can no longer move south on this road and you're going to have to make a different, you're going to have to go a different way. You didn't know that on your path, whatever it is that you have established for yourself, that you were going to run into this huge hurdle, this huge roadblock that is going to have to make you divert 100, like 90 degrees to the right. Like this was not expected. This can be summed up with that quote that says, uh, no plan survives first contact. Maybe you've heard that. Or everybody has a plan until they get punched. That's exactly it. But the thing is, is that you are so much better off Having had a plan, having had established a path, now that you've done that, even though it's not going the way that you thought, having already had made a plan and thought things through, you are now at a significant advantage. And you now can flex. You can move. You can make decisions, although things aren't going the way that you thought they were going to go. And I love this Bible verse that ties this in. It says, Proverbs twenty one thirty one it says the horse is made ready for the day of battle. I'm gonna pause right there. There's another half to it. The horse is made ready. Who's making the horse ready? Well, you are. Okay, you're you are about to go out there and move on your whatever trajectory, whatever course you've established. The horse is made ready by you. You are loading up your gear. You are loading up your protection, whatever it is that you need to go, the, the, whatever provisions you need to accomplish that mission. You are making. That horse ready for the day of battle, but this is where a lot of us get hung up. Get hung up, and a lot of us get upset because we don't understand that you're not the main character in your story. Because this verse continues and it says, "But the victory belongs to the Lord." But the victory belongs to the Lord. Again, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Plans are nothing but planning is everything. Make plans. Expect for your plans to fail because no plans survive first contact. Make your horse ready, but just be ready to give God glory whenever you do win. And it's just that beautiful. Number nine, the pebble in the shoe will bring you down. The pebble in the shoe will bring you down. Muhammad Ali, or I mean, I I know it was somebody else before him, but Muhammad Ali made this quote famous in more recent history. And it was something like, it's not the mountain before you that will bring you down or tear you down it's the pebble in your shoe. And it's really true. I mean, you have to understand that as you go on in that mountain ahead of you, that mountain of life, that thing that you are just, you're going after it as you go towards that thing and as you start climbing down mountain there is a small force being applied upwards in your heel consistently over time that is going to drive you nuts and then if you ignore it and you become numb to it and i've done this before in the physical and in the spiritual you will start to have that thing dig and dig and dig so that when you get halfway up that mountain and you thought you were going to accomplish this thing and finish it out and you were doing great, you look at your feet, it's infected. You are beyond, like, you can't even save it. You got to start gouging that thing out. You let it go way too far. And that little thing brought you down. It's always the little things, but, but we are naturally big thinkers. Right like I'm going to start up this business and I'm going to like be able to be self-sustaining. I'm going to be able to have this business and be with my family all the time. I'm going to be able to work from home. But then your integrity is not there. So you want to run a business but you're forgetting about the little small thing called integrity. Or maybe you're thinking like I'm just man I can't wait to marry this woman. She's going to be awesome. I can't wait to find this woman. She's going to be great. I can't wait to live that life like of being a married man. We're going to be so happy. And, but you're forgetting about the little thing called patience that God has been reminding you about and working on inside of you. And it's the little thing that's going to drive you down. And, and I've identified five mountains in our lives that we, that we all try to climb. There's five mountains that as men, you know, wherever it is that you are in life you are going to come across these mountains at some point or another. You're going to climb them and how you climb them will say a lot about you and how you prepare yourself to climb them will say even more. You will climb the mountain of faith, the mountain of family, the mountain of finance, the mountain of fitness, and the mountain of focus. So the mountain of faith, this is your personal faith with God, your fellowship with other people, how you develop your relationship with the Holy Spirit, your family. I mean, it can be your children, your spouse, but it can also be those close relationships, or it can be those friends that are like family. It's that inner circle, the people that you allow into your house around that dinner table. You will climb the mountains of your finance, how it is that you take care of that resource. How it is that you tithe, how it is that you take care of your your bills, your spending, your fitness, your physical and mental and emotional fitness. Think all three. And then finally, your focus, where it is that you are putting your mind, what great things that you are putting ahead, like like those big projects, like starting a business and, and those things that you are driving energy and resources towards. So pay attention. To the little things, the little pebbles in your shoe that will keep you from being able to climb atop those mountains and attain success. The amount of success that you want to have in each one of those five areas. And finally, number 10, actions speak louder than words. Again, guys, that's actions speak louder than words. And I, I hope that just settles in right there. If you've never heard that saying before, please write it down. You can tell me until you're blue in the face that you are going to do X, Y, Z. You can tell me until you're blue in the face that you are not going to do this, that, and the other. But what I'm going to believe at the end of the day is what I am seeing. And so if you tell me that you are not going to talk to your wife this way, if you tell me that you are not going to watch that video or that you are not going to look at the person like that, that you are not going to engage with these people, that you are going to leave that behind. You're not going to smoke this. You're not going to drink that. You can tell me that. And I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to want to believe you and I'm a a trusting person. I really am. But at the end of the day, your intentions and, and the things that you had desired and the things that you naturally like wanted to do don't mean jack squat compared to what you produce and what it is that you do, what you executed, what you didn't do. And it's so, I mean, it's so easy, right? This is an easy principle to understand, but it's hard to hold yourself to that kind of accountability. It's hard because it seems impossible if you're always working alone, if you're not inviting God, if you're not inviting Holy Spirit in to give you that dunamis, that dynamite power, To be able to energize and regenerate that energy inside of you that you need to be able to accomplish that thing or to leave that behind or to not do this, watch that, smoke this, drink that, be with these type of people, allow this in your life. And as you can imagine, I never had that luxury in the military to be able to not have my words line up with my actions. If I say I'm going to do something. I am held liable by military code of like uniform code of military justice to do that thing, right? To execute, to be able to do my job. And then not only like I held liable by like my superiors, there are people who I am supporting who are waiting for whatever it is that I need to give. Right. So in my previous job, I used to uh, pack parachutes and put like bundles together, put loads together. And I like if you can imagine Call of Duty, like delivering care packages, literally, you know, put parachutes on it, put it on a plane, throw it out of the back of a plane. Me. Having the intentions and the desire and saying that I'm going to go ahead and deliver, you know, your ten thousand pounds of food and water that you that you need because you're actually fighting the enemy in some foreign area, you know, somewhere in Afghanistan that trucks can't get to. Saying that I want to do it and actually being able to do it, taking good accountability of my assets, my manpower, the people that I have to be able to do this thing. Those are two very different things. And my words. I had to learn quickly. Had meanings. I couldn't say, "Oh yeah, I should be able to do that." Ah, that 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 word should does not have a place in the military, and it should not have a place like in your life, right? Like, I yeah, I, I should I should get that done. Like, I should be able to to stop doing that. And Then there's the I'll try. Like you, I will never go to a commander and say, uh, "Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, I'll I'll try to finish that up for you by Friday." <laughs> like that is not something I had the luxury of doing ever. Um, And I I think you should adopt that too. Adopt that habit of completely nuking that word out of your vocabulary. Get rid of it. There's no more like, I'm going to try to stop doing this. I'm going to try to do this. Like, no, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do this. And just, just carry it out. Take your order and carry it out. And guys, number 11, cause you stuck it out this long. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a bonus. Number 11, go with others, go with others. There's a, a proverb, uh, it's a ancient African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with others. And I can tell you like, this has been the story of my life over the last 10 years in the military. I could have tried to go at it alone to try to attain all of this, you know, accomplishments and all these accolades and done this and done that to be able to get to where I am today. But that just would not have worked out. It just would not have worked out. I would have burnt out. I would have only, I would have been limited to the experiences that I have. I would have been limited to the knowledge that I have. I wouldn't have been open to outside resources and then other people rubbing off on me, positive positive experiences with other people. No, you have to include other people. And what sucks is that a lot of times we have all these pains and hurts inside of us that come from relationships. We've been burned once, twice, maybe thrice before. And so we say and close off, no more but it's relationships that are going to heal you and relationships with other people that you can actually hold hands, like actually lock arms with. You can imagine like a line of Navy SEALs that are just locking arms there while the surf is breaking over them. I'm sure you've seen that kind of iconic image before. Did you know that the most tallest trees in America, the sequoia trees in in the forest over there in uh, California, me and my wife went to them If you see one of those trees fall, you notice that their entire root system comes up and it's because they're, for as deep as, for as tall as they are, those roots are not very deep. And it's weird because you would imagine, okay, the more you go up, you have to go down. That is pretty much the rule for any structure that we ever build uh, here on earth, you know, any any building. Um, And then also for other trees, like you need a good main root. But what Sequoias do really well is that they interlock their root systems with the Sequoias around them and they create an interlocking and interwoven system because they understand that they are stronger together. And so maybe they don't go as deep. And this is necessary in the military because we move every three years. Maybe they don't go as deep, but man, they cling tight to those people that are immediately to their left and right. And they're not they're not just gonna stand up against the storms and the wildfires alone. They are with others. They're clinching on with others. And if you don't have a tribe of guys, if you don't have that dude to your left and right that is clinging tight to you and that you can cling tight to, i want to invite you. I want to invite you to reach out, get on the reach out and join our group. You have a group of men who are meeting together, creating that that sense of bonding experience that you need with other guys around you, other young men who want to challenge you, who want to be challenged by you, who have that very thing that you need because you're not the main character in your story and God has purposely made it so that you have to reach out and do relationship with others, with other people in the body of Christ so that you would grow that you would be the best foot, hand, mouth, or whatever it is that you're called to be in the body. I challenge you head over to the becoming Check it out. Let me know what you guys think. I want to know what you guys think about this episode here. Make sure you connect with me at Ray Delanuez on Instagram. Would love to hear your feedback. Gents until next time, continue to march.